listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. What is design thinking and how can and should it be applied to the sales process as a key lever in increasing your sales pipeline? That's our topic today on Mental Selling, your favorite sales podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And I'm very pleased to be joined by a friend and a real expert in this area, Ashley Welch. She is the co-founder, along with Justin Jones, of the firm Somersault Innovation. They also co-authored the book Naked Sales. And Ashley has spent most of her 20-plus year career in sales working with global companies to inspire collaboration, innovation, and creative problem solving. So Ashley, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for asking. Uh, so to kick off, you describe Somersault as a sales enablement firm. And mm-hmm. I'd love to just get your perspective because that term means so many different things to so many different people. How do you define sales enablement today? Well, for me, I think I I define it just as sort of the word suggest, which is enabling sales or uh, really broader than that, anyone in the go-to-market community to be more effective at their job. And within enablement, though, there are certainly different pieces of that puzzle to enable people to be effective. There's sort of the process and technical skills. There's the product knowledge of what they're selling. And then there's what I think of as the art of sales or like, how do I engage as a salesperson? And so that all in my mind encompasses enablement. We focus on the human to human interaction of enabling sellers and giving them different skills and tools to more effectively understand their customer. And so that's how we're, we're enabling sellers to be more effective at their job with some of these tools from the world of design thinking. And it's really more about the conversation than sort of tools from a an asset standpoint, right? Because that's what yeah. it's all about. You've got to create better and more higher quality conversations with the customer. Exactly, exactly. And and so for some result, we don't we don't you know we don't lean on the technology or uh, less sales like your sales process. Let's say um, that's not our thing, but we are all about the art of the conversation, all about how do you build trust? How do you get good information? So some of those things that we can talk more about. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the central theme of this episode around design thinking and how it's applied to sales. So for those that are listening, that are unfamiliar, what is design thinking? How do you define it mm-hmm. uh, in layman's terms and how does it specifically apply to sales? So design thinking is just a pro it's a creative problem solving process. And I put it in the same category as lean six Sigma agile. It's another process that organizations are using to be more effective and particularly in the space of innovation. Uh, so it's a process. It has, usually it has about five different phases and tools in each phase that an, a group of people will use in order to 
solve a problem or come up with a new innovation. So I always say that you may not know what design thinking is, but you've been a beneficiary of design thinking. So most Apple products came out of a design thinking process. Virgin Airlines came out of a design thinking process, the quick toothbrush. So lots of organizations are using a design thinking method in order to figure out how to delight the end user. Because what's unique about design thinking uh, and different than some other problem solving processes is it's sort of this ruthless focus on the end customer, who's your end customer or user and keeping them at the center of your process, even from the very beginning. So I was like a simple example, if I was to come up with uh, another glass, if I had a manufacturing company, let's say I might say, oh, well, you know what? I have the best idea for a new glass. It's going to be this color. It's going to be this wide. And I'm, you know, I'm sure it's going to be successful. A design thinker would say, stop with your best idea, put that glass aside and just go talk to Will and other users and talk and really understand like, why do you drink? When do you drink? You know, what's your favorite glass? And really understand what you care about as a root of inspiration for me of what I'm going to create. And then keep checking with you along the way as I create something to see, did I get this right? So it's more about what you care about and less about what I care about in the process. Right. So it's that that focus on your customer's customer, the end, the, the end user ultimately and having that mind, that mindset. Exactly. Always. Right. And so, so what you asked me, well, how does it apply to sales? Um, the, the reason we started to say like, well, wait a second, a lot of these tools, whether it's around curiosity or good discovery or uh, gaining insights around unmet needs or motivations, all, all these tools and ideas are applicable to sales, right? Like we need to be right. customer centric and curious. Um, and so we started to say like, what, what are these sort of, what are the most high value tools from the world of design thinking that could really change the game for sellers? And so I think of Somersault as sort of curators of like, what's the best from the world of design that's applicable to sales. You know, we're not teaching all sellers, you have to know a whole design thinking process. We're just saying, Hey, use some of these tools because they're going to make you more effective. And part of it's really just sort of a, that mindset shift and sort of creating that flexing that muscle regularly, right? Exactly. And I think it's hard to do that in sales. Actually, it's hard to stay customer centric. It's hard to stay curious. It's hard to stay open because we're paid to close. Often we're paid very well to close. There's a lot of money on the line. There's incredible pressure to meet the number. You know, uh, you as a seller, you've got a number across your forehead. Everybody knows whether you're making it or not. And so there's a lot of reasons why uh, we don't show up as our best, most curious selves or our most customer centric selves because of all the sort of real contextual pressure that we're under. And, and so we, we talk about being customer centric. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to be customer centric, mm -hmm. but I know you've got a perspective on, on sort of what that actually means and looks like in, in practice. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I'll give an example. So I think, like you said, everybody talks about being customer centric, but it, I find it very rare that actually uh, people are because people or corporations are motivated by their own interests. And so right. we sort of default often to our own interests versus what's the customer's interest. So yeah, that, um, that default to being self-serving. Exactly. And it's, that's very human, right? Um, 
so I was just talking to a big tech firm talking about uh, how they partner with uh, external partners. You know, all these big tech firms have these ecosystem of partners, these implementation partners. And when they partner with this third party implementer in service of the customer, um, you know, everybody wants to keep the customer in mind because that's who they're serving. But the compensation is set up such that it actually pits the technology company and their implementation partner against each other often. And the seller on the tech side is like, I don't want to bring the partner in because actually we can do a lot of that work. And I get paid so well when I sell the implementation services and don't bring in a partner. And so that would be an example of the compensation getting in the way of a partnership that might actually really serve the customer. Um, because the seller on the tech side is like, I'm, I'm not trying to do necessarily the best model for the customer. I'm trying to do what's going to make me the most money. Um, mm. And so that's, I think we often, or organizations often set up systems that are actually contradictory to the notion of customer centricity. Um, because people will, you know, that's, we know in sales that so you spiff them or you incent them to sell certain things. They're going to sell that in order to get paid versus what is the customer, the customer doesn't need that maybe, but right. you might buy it cause you may not know better and I get paid. So. And, and so that's like the, uh, the structural aspect. It, that's the structural. Yes, exactly. The comp. Um, I actually, I would say another, another, I was talking to a um, customer success manager at a tech, another tech firm. And I was talking to him about what happens when he's in a system working with customers to make them more successful. And he hears about other opportunities in the system. So this is a little less about customer centricity, but it's about how compensation changes behavior. So I said, well, what happens when you see a new opportunity? Do you bring that up to the account executive? And he says, no, actually, I'm not comped on it. And... And I moved out of sales into the customer success role so that I could decrease the stress in my life and have a little more low of a low key life. So no, I don't like, Mm -hmm. so that was really interesting to me um, about how we impact behavior. I mean, we know this, right? We know we impact behavior by, by compensation, reward structure. And the the compensation aspect is sort of almost under, uh, underestimated in that regard. Well, yes. And when you compensate, like the, the company wins too. If you're compensating people to sell a certain thing, like you win short term, right? And you may anyway, because you're selling more of it, you're getting more revenue in the door, but long-term you may not be satisfying your customer such that you're not creating yeah. perhaps repeat right. business or, or really happy customers who feel like you've kept their best interest at heart. Are there, um, you'd also talked about, uh, the social and individual mm-hmm. aspects mm-hmm. of customer centricity. What about mm-hmm. those? Yeah. So we talk about, if you're trying to drive transformation in an organization or real behavior change, you need to be thinking about the structural piece, which are the systems, um, you know, the compensation structure, et cetera, the social piece. I don't love that word social, but like meaning the leadership like what's the, how are people relating around you and connecting? Uh, And then the individual, like how are people being developed so that they know what to do? So we just talked about the structural piece that either supports customer centricity or not. 
like the, the social piece would be like, are the leaders um, really focused when I'm coaching you or in relationship with you? Let's say I'm your manager. Am I asking mm-hmm. you about what does the customer care about? Tell me how we're meeting their needs. What's their big strategic goals? Or am I asking you, did you sell this? Like, did you close the deal? Because you put it in your forecast. So what do you got for me? Right. So that's a very different orientation in terms of how I'm sort of orienting you to think about your customer. And then right. on the enablement side, are you giving, like for skilling up account executives, are you just skilling them up on new product knowledge? That happens all the time. Or or the technology, the new CRM you just brought in or the more new marketing tool. If all you're giving them is all that versus like actually giving them great discovery skills or great listening skills or how to have yeah. a build trust, then you're not orienting them towards a customer-centric motion. And it's such an area where organizations continue to fall down as they default that training to the product knowledge, the CRM sort of how to's and all that. And it's, and that idea of developing actual conversation skills and listening and ability to add, add value and in-depth questions is, I don't want to say it's dismissed, but it becomes such a small part of what they're doing. Yeah. I always remember a, a enablement person at Google said to me, the, Sellers that we have here at Google who are most successful are those that are most curious, not the ones that Mm. have the most product knowledge because they can figure out the product knowledge or they can bring somebody in to speak to it. Um, But if they're not curious, they then they don't undercut. They don't uncover the depth of opportunity that exists. Right. And today, so much of the product knowledge is at the at the buyer's fingertips anyway. Yes. You're too often sales reps are regurgitating things that the, that the they, they might. Pro- probably the customer wouldn't have, have taken the meeting with you if they didn't already already know it themselves. Yeah. But we get trapped again. Like, you know, I always think like if humans got out of the way, things would work a lot better. But uh, <laughs> the, we get trapped in our own mind of like, I got to be an expert. I got to show that I'm an expert. Right. And improve my value and worth. So sort of we lean in often to our expertise and wanting to show that we're smart, which means like, let me tell you about the latest trends and our products and et cetera, versus staying open and curious, which is often a new posture for people. Right. And that, that, so that relates to the next thing um, that we're going to talk about. And that's around the sales discovery process, which um, Mm -hmm. we've gone into on this podcast before, Mm -hmm. if you're a regular mm-hmm. listener. Mm-hmm. Um, so around the sales discovery process and design thinking, the discovery process is where things like curiosity and building trust and building mm-hmm. rapport happen. So how do we, how do you help salespeople think more in that regard? And and again, more about the customer's customer as part yeah. of the sales discovery process. Okay. Well, let me just give an example of customer's customer first, and then we'll back into like, so what does this look like? So I was thinking about it before I got on the call, like a simple example is if you think about a hospital and let's say you were a technology firm and you were selling a new system to a hospital, like record keeping system, let's say it's a competitor to Epic or something. Um, if you thought about it, you're probably selling into the IT department and a few other executives who are making a big decision like that, but their customer, their first line of customers are internal, like the nurses, the doctors, the administrators who have to use the system to enter data. And then you go next level, their customer is the patient, right? It's you and me who come into the hospital and have to sign in or are meet someone who says, 
you know, let me get your information. And then the next person that comes in gets the information a second time and then a third time and it's repetitive um, at a minimum. So for as a salesperson, if I was selling that system, I want to think about who are these layers of customer and what's the impact of this system on them? Because at the end of the day, if I can talk about the value that my system is going to bring to the end customer, the patient, then that's a whole different conversation I'm in and where there's a ton of value to your customer, what's in the hospital in this case, because if no patient comes into their hospital, there is no business. So I want to be talking about how am I adding value at the end of the day to the, to the patient as well as to the doctors and nurses, another set of end, end users. So that's what I mean by the customer's customer. So, and you can think about that idea in any business. Yeah. I mean, you see that a lot in medical device and pharma and other mm-hmm. aspects of healthcare where the successful salesperson is not the one again with that can spout all the product knowledge and, yes. and features and benefits. And this is why it's better than the competitor, but it's yep. the one that can engage in dialogues that are focused on better patient outcomes. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, oh, there's so much in here. Like, the, the best salesperson is able to tell a story about Will Milano when he went in to get his knee replaced and what that experience was like yeah. and why it worked or why it didn't work. Like that stickiness around having a first person story is another uh, part of being a great seller and what we teach sellers. And so the discovery that you do at the front of a of, or well, actually, we talk about discovery is not a stage or a phase. It's something you're always doing. Right. It should never end. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So my discovery, let's say, again, we'll go back to the hospital example. If I'm the account executive trying to sell in the system, some of the best discovery I could do would be like, before I decide what I need to sell is just go understand what happens in the system. Find a way to understand what the nurses and doctors and administrators care about. Either go, right? Walk the halls of the hospital, talk to your cousin who happens to be a doctor, go have your own experience when you go to the doctor's. And then talk to uh, any patients that you can find. And again, that could be yourself. It could be anybody or get online right. and look at, you know, customer forums, um, patient forums where people give feedback and get a sense of what's it like to be a customer of this hospital or be an administrator and be able to figure out what are the stories that you can retell to your customer that make it really come alive. Um, when you're engaging with them. I, I saw one of the um, video clips on your YouTube channel because I wanted to touch on that too. Mm-hmm. So we can do that now, but it's specifically around this. It's it's storytelling and, and mm-hmm. how salespeople can make those stories come alive. So is it, how do salespeople get better mm-hmm. at that? Is it just sort of a practice thing or? Yeah, well, I think it's, there's I part of uh, what we try to do by being these translators or curators of these tools from the world of design into to sales is to say, like, make it really simple, like really easy. And in storytelling, I think there's a, just a couple things to pay attention to that make it really easy. Instead of offering a generic use case, or just like, this is what the technology, if you can tell a story, uh, it becomes stickier and the power in a story or, or the, like the several things to make a story come alive is make it character driven. I met Will, you know, he lives in Massachusetts and he went to Mass General, right? 
make mm-hmm. a character to tell me about this person and then give it emotion, right? And he was concerned about his knee replacement. For all of you listening, I'm just making this up. Will, I have no idea if he has a knee replaced. <laughs> so like, because he was a soccer coach, right? And so this was a big change, right? Like all of a sudden I'm bringing you to life. I'm talking about the emotion of it. So make it character driven, give some emotion to it and get specific, give details. I always really remember someone who was talking about, uh, it was a salesperson talking about selling to a paint company. And she talked about mouse gray, like not gray, mouse gray. And so I was like, I'll remember that because it's like a specific detail. So give detail to make it rich. It's not that hard, right? Like you, and if you start listening, you know, you listen to podcasts or whatever, you know, great storytellers, the Moth Radio, the great storytellers do all of this. They have a character, they give them emotion and they get specific in terms of detail. And it's relatable. And And the relatable relatable piece is what develops that rapport and trust. Exactly. And makes you remember it and makes you want to have another conversation. And then of course there's that sort of arc of storytelling, which is like, you've got to have a sort of a problem. Like you needed your knee replaced, a struggle. You were concerned about being out of work for a while. And then your, uh, you know, the, the result in the end of, well, it was a great success and it only took two weeks. So we've, we've, um, we've talked about this sort of mindset shift on being design thinking and, and again, focused on your customer's customer, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. And, and, and how that plays out early on in the sales discovery process. Another Mm -hmm. thing I wanted to talk to you about is the, the, the trend, I don't even know if it's a trend, but Mm -hmm. the focus on more Mm account-based focused selling Mm -hmm. and why companies should consider the power of, uh, given the, you know, the, um, growth in the size of buying committees and all that sort of thing with Mm -hmm. influencers on deals. And it's not just Mm -hmm. one person, it's not just Mm -hmm. a single lead, that sort of thing. But you have a perspective on how companies should, sales teams should meet that with more of a teams-based approach Mm -hmm. to bigger complex deals like that. So it's not, so you're meeting sort of that larger group with a group of your own, right? Sort of a a teams-based approach to those deals. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think what we're seeing more and more is what you're you're talking about is that that account-based selling is is becoming more and more important. I think because deals are getting more complex, we need, you know, the account executive, the value manager, sort of a new role that's showing up, um the solution engineer, you know, I'm talking all tech because we tend to work in tech, but it's a mm-hmm. myriad of people on your side who really understand what you're selling and can evaluate what's going to work or not work for the customer. And then on the customer side, you know, you have certainly a lot of people, but if we talk about the, just the side of the selling organization, a lot of account executives do have a team that they work with, but what we often see, and I think needs to change is that that, that team doesn't really work as a team, meaning they're not convened. I might work, if I'm the account executive, I might work with each individual as I'm trying to grow a deal and figure out what you think and offer my opinion, get yours, and maybe you're doing something to support the deal, but we're not working as a team. And so, um, and I think there are a couple of reasons for that. You know, we're all busy. Uh, Two, we're not really trained to do that. So one of the things we notice is the account executives are never trained to be great facilitators. Right. And if I'm leading a team, that's one of the competencies I need is like, how do I convene this group in a really productive way? Uh, and two, 
or three, uh, the account executives often considered like, well, this is my deal, right? Like I'm running the deal versus we're running the deal. And if we're running the deal, then I need to create a space so everybody has a voice at the table. And I encourage everybody to work harder and, you know, be invested in working together to make this deal more effective. And what we've seen is when you can set that up effectively, the deals do get much bigger. Um, and sometimes we've been working with a couple of account teams. They'd never met together as an account team, which sounds crazy mm-hmm. to me, but it, I think it's actually very, it happens more than it doesn't. So having regular account team meetings, I think is really important. And uh, if everybody has a voice at the table, the you just get smarter as a group and more effective. And sort of showing the, the the power and breadth of the team that you can bring to the table that that can often then be the um, the driver of what helps bring the other the other side the customer side that that team together because too often the the entry point or the the lead quote unquote is an individual but that's not actually the decision maker yeah and a lot of salespeople have trouble then going from that person to who else is involved on the decision making side so if you if you're bringing your own team to the table that could spur them right to bring yeah. those those people together and then have Absolutely. a really sort of collaborative dialogue yeah, I, th- I might have told you the story. One of the customers we worked with who was an implementation partner to Salesforce, so they're sort of the implementation consultants, they do something they call uh, virtual labs. And what mm-hmm. a virtual lab is, is two two-hour sessions, could be face-to-face, could be virtual, in this case, virtual, um, where they say, we'll bring our team. And if you can bring these people from your side, and I need, here are the people that we think we need, because they're all decision makers on your side and they all have knowledge. We'll get together and we will envision the future and really pay attention to like, what's your long-term strategy? And where are you trying to go with this new technology or this implementation? And together we're going to think about this desired future state and what it will take to get there. And they say, when they can get the right people to participate and do these labs, the conversion rate is off the charts. And one of the things it reveals uh, and is helpful for everybody is like the lack of alignment that might be on the customer side because they haven't gotten together either. So I think it's a very strategic move if you can do that and you set it up by saying, this is going to really help all of us be more effective together. And here's what I need from you, customer. And here's what I'm going to bring from my side. And we're going to work this together. It's a very strong move. And of course, you have to have facilitation skills to do that well. Yeah, so that brought two things to mind: is how do you how do you develop those sorts of facilitation skills so that they so that a salesperson, the AE, has the confidence to go in and and do that? Because otherwise, they might they might not offer it if they don't feel confident that they can actually be that facilitator of customer alignment. Yes, yeah. Well, it's skill building, right? So when we did when we worked with this customer, we ran sort of mock. Uh, virtual labs. So we gave them the skills and then we had them do the virtual labs and coach them through it. And, you know, we're again, simple, less is more, let, always in life mm-hmm. and sales. <laughs> so yeah. um, like focus on the three things as a facilitator that are going to make you more effective, whether it's agenda setting, you know, how do you make sure everybody has a voice, um, making sure that people know each other and then uh, bringing things back on track 
or making sure that the technology, in this case, the technology conversation you actually want to keep lower. You don't want to get in the weeds of the technology conversation. You want to stay focused on the strategy. And so how do you pivot in the middle of a conversation if it feels like it's going Mm -hmm. off track? So there are just a few things that we would say that we can help sellers, whoever's going to be in that role of facilitator, be more effective than they are right now. And um, this idea of building solutions with the customer mm-hmm. versus just trying to force a solution mm-hmm. on a customer, mm-hmm. drastically different, drastically different thing. But yeah. um, you also have talked about um, what you call the Navy SEALs approach yeah, yeah. To, to complex deals. Could you talk yes. about that and how that how that relates to what we're talking about? Yes. So, um, so I sort of first was introduced to this idea of this really intense, smart design thinking group internal to an organization who works in, with sales at Salesforce. So they had their Ignite team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was then that I was like, God, this is like the Navy SEALs of design thinking. They're like Uber designers, but they're in the sales space. So and now I've seen more and more companies are starting to do this. Microsoft, EOS, Kindrel, um, ServiceNow, they all have these small team of people forget about design thinking, these team of people that are basically consultants who know how to run co-creation sessions with a customer to the point you said, which is like, mm-hmm. let us help both organization co-create the solution together. So we're going to run an envisioning workshop, let's say, envision the future together. Then we're going to run a business value workshop where we're going to determine what's the value of this technology in your system. Then we're going to run an implementation workshop, which is talking about like, okay, so what are all the things that have to happen in order to implement this well? Where are we going to learn along the way and how are we going to integrate feedback? So these small teams of people are being brought in at the most strategic level. So when you, so when the account is incredibly important to an organization and you know that if you work together, big things can happen, um, meaning work together with the customer to design the solution, then these sort of Navy SEALs are brought in and to run these sessions. And it's definitely the, I think it's the future of sales and more and more organizations are trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we do it? Well, who does it? How do we orchestrate this? There's a lot to figure out and there's a lot of money on the line. And the the ability for salespeople to, to do this and for sales organizations to have these Mm -hmm. teams, it's such a huge it's a massive credibility builder Absolutely. because again, you're, you're forcing the customer to think and consider things down the line that maybe they, they don't have the answers to yet. And you're helping it, them find those answers, right? Exactly. And you don't necessarily, I mean, you don't know, right? That's why the value right. of co-creation is not only getting your fingerprints on the solution, you, my customer, but the fact that this, if we're talking digital transformation, neither of us know the whole answer. We've, we've got to figure this out together. So having the right people together to figure it out is very powerful. Yeah. That, that mindset of you're, you're walking side by side with the customer down, a, exactly. down a path. And, and exactly. like you said, maybe, maybe neither of you know what the end game really is yet. Exactly. Um, I always like to ask perspectives and I think you've probably got a lot to say around sales leaders. And we've talked a bit about this already, but sales leaders and coaching and, coaching as the catalyst for so much within mm-hmm. sales teams that, you know, developing them, retaining them, mm-hmm. maximizing their potential, all that sort of thing. What, what do you think companies are getting wrong mm. <laughs> that most needs addressing when it comes to 
the way sales leaders behave and even how the way they identify and develop sales leaders. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you just, uh, what's your perspective on that sort of age old question of how do you get sales leaders to truly embrace coaching? Mm. So I'm sorry, I've asked you multiple questions here, but. (laughs) Well, I'll uh, riff a little bit then in my response. I think I was thinking about this this morning. And one of the things that we found in working with one of our clients who's asked for this is that the leaders themselves don't get coaching. So right. you're asking someone to be a coach who has never been coached or isn't being coached. So we've started, we've been coaching this RVP population. Um, and I think what they feel then is starting to feel like really nourished in the coaching. Like it's given them space to think and think strategically space to bounce things off of somebody else um, that for all of us in these crazy paced work lives that we lead is doesn't exist, right? We're all running too fast. We don't create space for ourselves. So just that experience of having a coach, I think alters for the leader, their perception of the value of coaching. So that's one piece of the puzzle. I think we need to give leaders a, a more um, coaching themselves. And then we have to make it integrated into their daily life. It has, it cannot be a separate thing. I mean, we've been saying that forever, but it's truly like, it's not going to happen. And so I think that the coaching in sales has to be a very holistic approach. So with this client we're working with, there's no way we can develop coaches who are just going to be great at coaching their AEs around discovery. I need to set them up to be a holistic coach so they can think I need forecast accuracy. I need to make sure things are qualified well, and I need to know, I need to give you deal coaching. And so mm-hmm. as a coach, I need to think about how do I balance that? Where do I lean in and when on different pieces of this puzzle that I'm trying to work with? So giving people sort of some basic tools on how to have better conversations and then how to balance where their focus is, um, I think is another piece of the puzzle, like not making it overwhelming and not making it a separate thing. And, and, and part of it, I think you're alluding to this and saying like, you know, the, the, the sales leaders need coaching themselves. A lot of times the problem with them is they don't understand what the term coaching means, right? Yes. Yeah. They, they, they will go through and have one-on-ones and review pipelines and forecasts and deals and numbers 100%. and walk away saying I, I'm coach. Well, I did coaching, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> they think exactly. they did. They think they did. Exactly. And when this happens time and time again, when we interview the, the AE, they will say, I never get coaching. Right. I, what I get is what you just said, like, where's my forecast? What do I see coming down the pike? What am I concerned about? You know, things like that, which is not coaching, which are all important conversations to have, but that's a different thing. Yeah. That's a different thing. And it is this balance, like going back to what I said, like as a leader, you're going to have to, you have to figure out where do I focus my attention? So if I'm in a conversation, am I coaching you to get better and think differently about your deal? Or am I just trying to get information about the forecast? So, you know, you have choices to make mm-hmm. and, and you have to do it all. Right. So that's the other problem is how do you do it all with such little time? And, and right. You got to combine is- that, that the managing, the coaching and the leading that yeah. whole sort of Venn diagram thing under one, <laughs> umbrella and there's not a lot of time for it, but yeah, exactly. But you know, the other thing that I think is 
so important is it's about how do people feel, right? We know we're like, back to this idea that we're all human. We make decisions that are based on emotion so much more often than logic, right? Mm-hmm. We base our, our decisions based on how we feel. So part of your role as a leader and coach is to help your people feel cared for, nurtured, smart, you know, motivated, right? That's going to, we know people leave their managers, right? They don't leave their organizations. How they feel matters. And coaching is a big part of how you're sort of building the, uh, how people feel in a positive way about you and the organization. Because that's what the sales leaders want their people to do with customers, right? We've been talking about about that. It's all about how the person feels. Yes. Versus the logic or the, yeah, that then translates. Yeah. Yes. So if you, if if you, if you want your reps to do it with your customers, then do it with your reps. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and, and then lastly, like, what do you, both from the standpoint of the organizations that are trying to identify you know, the best sales leadership candidates. And then maybe from the standpoint of the sales person that might be considering trying to get into a sales leader's role, what, what do you think companies need to um, shift in your experience to get the best candidates and, and move away from just the, like, well, you know, the highest performing salesperson, we should just promote him or her. Yeah. Well, that's what you need to move away from. Um, It's like, that's, presumably one of the criteria, but, um, you know, I think the best leaders who become good coaches and leaders are those that really are oriented towards, um, sort of this, uh, I don't know, in service sense too dramatic, but I'm really interested in your evolution as an individual and as a seller. And that shows up by how I engage you how I engage the team, um, how I focus my conversation. Is it just about the numbers or am I talking to you about like, tell me about a customer that you love and what do they, what, what have you learned about that? Tell me a story about them. So I think just paying attention to uh, the leader's ability to listen and be curious um, and think about the individuals they're coaching as a whole person. Like this is the other thing, like we, I mean, this, we say this all the time, but it's so true. Like we don't separate ourselves from what's going on in our life. If you can't pay attention to what's going on in someone's life, in addition to what they're doing at work, it's not effective. You cannot separate that. So if someone's going through a really hard time being able to meet them where they're at and have a conversation Mm -hmm. about like, well, just, let's just take a second and figure out what's going on for you right now so that I can help you be present and effective in your job. Yeah. So I would look for all of those characteristics in addition to how effective were they at, you know, building their own portfolio. Yeah, they've got to have that innate desire to focus on others and develop others because that's that's the primary job. That's right. Um, and it's hard. You know, it is hard. Um, I, I think you got to know also, like, do people want it? I feel like so many people get promoted to they want the money or they want the prestige, but do they really want to be managing other people? Right. I'm not so sure. Yeah. So this is, uh, this has been a really great discussion, Ashley. Thank you again so much for, for joining us today. I think this, this idea of, you know, we're always trying to look to, as you were saying before, you want to be more customer centric, but what does that really look like? And, and this idea of design thinking and, 
all the aspects that, that, that surround design thinking and that idea of constantly focusing on what does your customer's customer care about is really such a, such a great mindset and, and sort of mental shift for, for salespeople to make, that's going to add tremendous value um, and make them more successful. Yeah. I think even it can even just change your questions. Like I can ask you if you're Mm -hmm. my customer, tell me about your favorite customer and why do they love your organization? Like just that shift in terms of where you focus your questions can be powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That power of asking really good questions. And that's a really, that's a really good one to always include. Um, so for listeners, um, please take time to learn more about design thinking for sales and to get more of Ashley's perspectives, you can visit her website, which is summersaltinnovation.com. Uh, you'll also find Ashley and her partner and co-founder, Justin Jones on LinkedIn and, and Somersault Innovation on mm-hmm. LinkedIn. They also have a YouTube channel. Um, we mentioned the book Naked Sales, which they co-wrote a few years ago. And you'll also find Somersault on Twitter at Somersault US. So um, again, Ashley, thank you so much. It's been a really great discussion. And I'm sure you're everybody so listening welcome. is taking a lot from it. <laughs> yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you, Will. Thanks to everybody for listening and uh, please give us a rating, comment, review. We love to get people's feedback on the show. Um, please take a look at other previous episodes you might have missed in case you're, if you're brand new to us uh, and follow us wherever you're listening and getting your podcast. Thanks so much for spending time with us today and uh, have a great day. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an integrity solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.